We're back to Sam Sports Podcast. Today, it is Wednesday, February 10th. There's been a lot of things going on in the NBA, some exciting stuff, and we need to chat about it. I have brought back to the show a favorite of mine, longtime Philadelphia 76er season ticket holder for 43 years, accredited veterinarian, my father, Dr. Mark Rosenberg. How are you doing today? Hey, Sam. Nice to speak with you. Absolutely. So good to have you back on the show. I, uh, this was uh, my first instinct after I heard this news that the New York Knicks fired Derek Fisher was to get you on the phone and talk about it, because I know you and I will certainly have quite a few things to discuss about this matter, and really the, the, the ever-evolving, I'm going to say it, the drama that is Phil Jackson's reign with the New York Knicks. So right off the bat, why do you think Derek Fisher was fired? Just first gut reaction, what did you see? Uh, well, the first gut reaction is this uh, fairly talented team is really underperforming. Mm-hmm. Jeff Hornacek's gone. Derek uh, Fisher's gone. Brett Brown lives on. Yeah, uh, yeah. These, these coaches who seem, you know, Brett Brown is, is the miracle worker at this point. He seems to continually, uh, you know, he can do no wrong and he's still trucking along yeah he can do it well I don't know if he can do no wrong the team uh, does not uh, win games I mean winning one every 10 games is not winning yeah but we're, we're here to speak about the Knicks I think this is an underperforming team it mm-hmm. had a momentum and direction that was not on the plus side mm-hmm. and it's not just Phil Jackson that would make this decision I think any uh, team president seeing this team on this biggest stage performing this way would have to make a change. Now, making it in the middle of the season, mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit radical. That tells me that he probably thinks that part of this season can be salvaged and that this team can move forward. Uh-huh. That's probably why it was done uh, at this time before the All-Star break. Now, I'm starting to get a bit of a feeling about... So so now we're a couple of years, or at least I guess we're in year two of Phil Jackson being in charge of the day-to-day with the Knicks. And, you know, I think he made some loud, splashy moves when he came in. Uh, and I think he very publicly made a few missteps last season when, because I think we can agree that he went into last season and he made some off-season acquisitions signed some free agents, brought some players in, and really had an optimism that the team was playoff bound. And boy, was he wrong. Last year's team was atrocious. And it kind of gave this initial indicator that the Zen master might be pretty darn good at coaching teams, but this is really kind of his first go around being a, I mean, I know he's not the GM of the Knicks, but he, listen, he's the guy in charge. And you know, this is certainly, as much as he knows about basketball, this is, I think, a new experience, even for him. And bringing in a guy like Derek Fisher, you know, is it sort of like he clearly wanted a guy who he knows. He wants a, a Phil Jackson coaching tree person. I mean, all the replacements they're talking about are other Phil Jackson people. Um, but what I'm hearing from the the New York Knicks camp is that there had been some type of a disconnect between Fisher and Jackson um, what have you heard on that, and what has been your impression regarding, you know, the two of them no longer being on the same page? Did you get any impression of that from the the performance on the court? Had you heard anything about that? What do you think of that? Well, let's step step back a moment. Okay, this is 
an NBA team on the biggest stage in the world. Mm-hmm. This is not like playing. This is not the Milwaukee Bucks. And this is not in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. This is in New York. Mm-hmm. And when you bring a coach in, and he brought in a coach, 39, 40-year-old, inexperienced coach. Who had just retired, what, a month or two before he hired him as the head coach? Exactly. So you brought in, you brought in a rookie, rookie coach, essentially, to fly that 747 cruise liner. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that is risk-taking. I think that he felt that, he knew Derek Fisher. He knew his playing experience. He knew his work ethic. And he was just assuming that with his mentoring, that mm-hmm. this would transition mm-hmm. into being an effective coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any coaches that can perform of the, at the level necessary in New York mm-hmm. that could come in as rookies. I mean, everybody starts to point to Steve Kerr. Yeah, yeah. Steve Kerr, you have to understand, is 50 years old now. Yeah. He was somebody who was not right out of uh, playing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had time to study. And, and and he'd also had experience, I believe, as a general manager with the Phoenix Suns. Um, you know, he'd yeah. been someone who had been out, who'd been off the court. And on the other side of the of the table for NBA, for NBA franchises before, whereas it, Derek Fisher went it, a few months from playing basketball to running the Knicks. Exactly, and this is why everybody initially embraced Derek Fisher because Phil Jackson had made the decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you were stepping back and just using normal common sense, you would say, "What the heck." Is that yeah? Like what? What? What track record does Derek Fisher really bring to the court aside from being a fantastic backup point guard on a championship Laker team? I mean, there is zero coaching experience. There's zero uh, front office experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. A player focuses on playing mm-hmm. uh, because it's so intense that you can't afford to be distracted, mm-hmm. and then they bring him in. Into New York. I yeah. mean, I can't emphasize what New York means as far as pressure on coaches, assistant coaches, players, front office. Media, uh, everybody is going to be chomping at the bit for answers and explanations when, when even the slightest thing goes wrong. So, so let's uh, first bring that up. Okay. Then secondly, you have a team, uh, and I'm speaking about this season, you have a team that has talent. Right. The, t- the Knicks are not an untalented team. Mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony is a great ball player. Mm-hmm. We know his baggage. Mm-hmm. Uh, his type of game doesn't win championships because it's a, a self-focused game. It's an isolation one-on-one, just you know, breaking ankles and dunking the ball type game. Except you think that that's how Popovich would be using Carmelo Anthony. Absolutely not. Then Lopez. Robin Lopez is a... Is a wonderful. He's a great yeah. center. Yeah. You look at his numbers this year. His numbers are actually above his career numbers. Mm-hmm. So now you've got Anthony and Lopez. Then you have to give Jackson uh, credit. He found Porzingis. Yeah, he did. They almost uh, threw rotten tomatoes at him and drove him out of New York. Yeah. When he announced that he was their first pick. I mean, they were ready to drag him out and quarter him in the street after they e- picked Porzingis. Exactly. And you see that. 
that's a godsend. He's like the second coming of Dirk Nowitzki. He is young. He he's you couldn't have put it better. And believe I went to see him. I saw the Knicks play, mm-hmm. and uh, he is seven feet three, God. and he's agile mm-hmm. and he's long. It's mm-hmm. true. He's a kid. Mm-hmm. He's got to put on thirty or forty pounds. Mm-hmm. He's got to acquire the experience and necessary to play in this league. But mm-hmm. considering where he is, look at his numbers. I mean, I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, it's it really. He is that 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 anti-argument to the to the foreign player you draft and you leave over in Europe for three years. I mean, sometimes you, you leave them there and you hope that they get groomed and they get better. Porzingis, this guy has walked right in the door and he is already contributing to the basketball club immediately. And, you know, in some ways, I think he is signaling a bit of the, you know, a bit of the end of the Carmelo Anthony reign. I think the, the I think we're going to see a torch passing there at some point soon. Well, because, at some point, I don't know if he's ready. But yeah, how so much far, of their game works together, Carmelo and Porzingis? Like, I mean, are they playing well together? What has been your impression of the two of them on the court together? Well, he has taken some of the heat off of Carmelo, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which has made uh, an aging Carmelo's life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And consequently, he's doing what young European Dirk, like big men should do, he steps out and shoots threes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't miss foul shots. Mm-hmm. And when you're seven three, you stand up straight and don't get in the way. You block a lot of shots. Yeah, yeah. So to go on, we have three fine ball players mm-hmm. that any team in the NBA would want. Mm-hmm. And then you take uh, Calderon and Afalo, mm-hmm. and these are not rookies. Yeah. These are experienced ball players. So. When you lay this this talent against how they're performing, mm-hmm. it has to drift right back to the coach. Yeah, I and say to myself, would Steve Kerr, would Popovich, would uh, Thibodeau, would even George Carl uh, have this talent and be performing this way? The answer is no. And and the no. Knicks, I think, are twenty three and thirty one, and they were playing well in the beginning of the season, but it's seriously dropped off in the last month or two, and I think that was a big trigger for the decision to happen now i think you're right and also there are some uh, more inner details oh yeah uh, that i want to go uh, into that there's their scoring hasn't dropped off but you, you but you know in this league as you can see more and more just look at the warriors and look at the spurs mm-hmm. <laughs> look at the super bowl what wins ball games it's defense, defense. yeah and the knicks defense has been uh, deteriorating not swiss improving. cheese <laughs> holes in the defense or there's a lack of motivation, not as much effort, lack of uh, coach uh, uh, focus on that mm-hmm. area. So there's no doubt that Phil Jackson made the right decision. Yeah. Uh, but he has to take responsibility for initially making the wrong decision. He likes uh, coaches and assistants and subordinates that are on the same page as he is mm-hmm. and that he has a lot of control over. Mm-hmm. Because if he could get down on that bench and move around, he probably would be coaching. But, yeah. you know, that day has passed. You know, he's an older older guy with replaced hips. And uh, I can understand, you know, the rigor that a coach goes through in the NBA is just short of what his players go through. Yeah, it's it's you can never be understated how much, uh, you know, these 
50, 60, 70-year-old men who are these head coaches of these NBA teams have to sit on those ridiculous folding chairs on this, you know, right on the floor. I mean, they come on. They can't set up anything a little bit better than a, just a folding chair for these guys. I don't know. Maybe something. And they're six feet ten or seven feet tall. Yeah. Whenever yeah. Phil Jackson sits down, is he's like Kareem. His knees go up to his chin, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. The other thing is he has to travel. He has mm-hmm. to be – you know, a very big guy in, in, in hotels and motels and planes. It, it, it's just not something that's going to work there. So the firing was appropriate. He has to take responsibility for the decision. The question is, of course, who he brings in now. It's the big stage. There's a lot of pressure. Now, I, I do want to rip this apart a little bit because I've been, I've been doing some research. I've been looking into I want a little bit of a deep dive regarding this firing and I think some of the events that led to it. So I was reading about how um, Phil Jackson and what's kind of amazing is, is the more I go into it, I'm seeing Phil Jackson has quotes. He's kind of I don't want to say he's out there with what he says, but he tends to drop quotes that are fairly eye-opening, if you know what I mean. And well, he's he's, brought, been, he's been the Zen master for forty years, and he's been doing it. He's been tr- using trickery and strategy and and verbiage like this for a long time. And I'm not sure it's trickery. He truly believes that there is a certain karma that goes along with the basic fundamentals of basketball Mm -hmm. that lead teams to perform beyond their capabilities. Mm -hmm. He used to (laughs) bring teams to practice with a drum, Mm -hmm. make his ball players read metaphysical Mm -hmm. uh, books. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to think he's changing now. And his, his recent uh, diatribe uh, goes right along with that, but that's, Phil Jackson. Yeah. Just remember, he doesn't have enough fingers for all the rings that he has. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I wanted to bring up is how he brought in a couple of assistant coaches that are very much Phil Jackson guys. Kurt Rambis, Jim Clemens. These are guys who have been longtime sort of, you know, disciples of Phil Jackson. And Derek Fisher had brought in a couple of coaches that he knew in Oklahoma City. So these were some guys that I think were loyal to Derek Fisher. And what I started to, what I took away from this information was that I think there were two separate camps that were developing within the coaching staff. One of them was the Phil Jackson camp. And sadly, and what also sounds like what got him fired is there was a split. There was a Derek Fisher camp. There was a few coaches that were loyal to Derek Fisher. Um, I had read about in a few articles and once again, you know, Phil Jackson saying things and putting it on the record, uh, he had mentioned that he, you know, the commu- his communication with Derek Fisher had sort of deteriorated and he had been sending, you know, he'll send him text messages or something like, hey, take a look at this. We're not playing good defense here. You got to get the guys off the ball. And he would get responses from Derek Fisher that were very simple, like, gotcha. You know, we'll, we'll work on that in practice. And I think that there had I think internally there was a bit of a split, and it, and I highlight it because it also includes that discussion of what that topic, what you just mentioned about how Phil Jackson I think wants to have as much control as possible, and in some ways I think he wants to do every single thing he can do to coach the team without actually coaching the team. Now, in your opinion. You got. Do you think you you know this is just sort of oh you got to give Phil the chance to make a few missteps or 
is this maybe the beginning of a whole lot of missteps by Phil Jackson that gets him fired in the next year or two? Well, first, I disagree a little bit with okay. the coaching. He brought in a couple of coaches that he felt could help mentor Derek Fisher mm-hmm. that were products of the Phil Jackson philosophy. The triangle. The triangle is we. he wants the triangle. Here. Exactly. And he also said, I want this coach to feel comfortable. So I'm going to let him bring in some assistance that he knows and has worked with. So he'll be have a comfort zone and he'll, he won't be thrust right into the middle uh, of a strange brew. So mm-hmm. that probably was a good idea. Mm-hmm. What happens is that I think that Jackson, uh, who is a, he's a warrior, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes right down to it, and in the heat heat of the uh, of the games, and with some of the disappointments and some losses, he started to get a little overbearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all Phil Jackson uh, coaches and disciples are aggressive players mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with heads head, and they have uh, minds of their own. And I think uh, Fisher rebelled a little uh, against that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, and it sounds like he cut we, it up. He said, we're done with this. It's, we're not going any further. This is over. Goodbye. We need to, we, this clearly isn't working. We need to change directions. I also don't think that we have to throw in the towel with Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there is rumor that he would like to go back to LA. I mean, LA L.A. is a disaster that could use the Jackson touch Yeah. Uh, now. Uh, New York, on the other hand, listen, I used to go see Phil Jackson and Bill Bradley and Dave DeBusher <laughs> all the time. Back when they were winning championships? Back when they were at Willis-Reed. Uh, and so there's New York and Phil Jackson's, uh, I think, Min- Minnesota blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I think that he would like to succeed uh, in that city. Uh, so there's a lot that's being read into things. He's being very consistent. Mm-hmm. He's being mm-hmm. the Zen master that he has always been. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed. He is being uh, aggressive and intolerant of a performance that's not up to his standards. That hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what you want in a uh, in a general manager uh, of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next coaching selection will be very important. Let's let's talk about that. So right now, Kurt Rambis has been named interim coach. Um, clearly, a Phil Jackson guy. Uh, sadly, Kurt Rambis does have a bit of a tough track record. He coached the Minnesota Timberwolves for about two three seasons. It was. It was very bad. He had a very, very large losing record. I think he, I think there was even a point where he benched Kevin Love at some point. Um, yes, he, he's not a good coach, and yeah. he uh, he did not work well with Kevin Love. Um, and I don't think Kevin Love is difficult. He just is a very unique talent. You have to evaluate, analyze, and then use it mm-hmm. to your best advantage. And Rambis didn't do that. I think Rambis is the interim coach here, first of all, because, you know, what are you going to do when you fire a head coach? Yeah, yeah. You got uh, you to get you somebody have to bring in. bring in somebody. And secondly, I think now uh, Phil Jackson has a direct line to on-the-court coaching decisions in mm-hmm. a day-to-day fashion. 
Gotcha. Um, there's also been some, dis- I mean, Kurt Rambis, yes, he's the interim coach. I do not see him as the long-term answer. I no. hope Phil Jackson feels the same way as well. Clearly, a lot of uh, the first instinct that I think is jumping out of everyone's mouths is Luke Walton, another longtime Phil Jackson disciple. Clearly, things have gone very well for him with, in Golden State. He was running the show when Steve Kerr was still recuperating from his, uh, his surgery earlier this season. So that's a lot of you know, good street cred and reputation going in Luke Walton's direction. Um, and from what I've been reading... Luke Walton might actually be, you know, be might become a bidding war between the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers because I don't think Byron Scott is working out too well in Los Angeles. You know, all of a sudden, both these teams might be trying to scoop him up. Well, let me say something there. And please, this is another rookie coach like Derek Fisher. I mean, what you handed Luke Walton the world champions? Yeah. <laughs> now his job was to not screw that team up. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You hand Luke Walton the 76ers. They're probably going to continue losing. Uh, so the question is, do you take the New York Knicks, who have decent talent on the biggest stage in the world, mm-hmm. and hand them to a first-year, second-year coach? Because I don't think you can have a team like the Knicks learning on somebody else's nickel. Yeah. And that's what... That's what was That's happening with their coach. Fisher. And I'm not saying Luke Walton will not be a fine head coach in this league. But once again, we're talking about the New York Knicks yeah. and we're talking about New York City. Mm-hmm. And I personally think you have to get somebody that is of like mind with Phil Jackson, mm-hmm. but has a track record to show that they know how to handle an NBA team under the pressures <laughs> and the injuries and the uh, diversity that can occur and not have it collapse. You know, you're forgetting Derek Fisher right in the middle of this, you know, was still dealing with the, the Matt Barnes issue. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Which is, You know, and that's, that, that's a little bit of a PR disaster, too. That's a Head terrible coaches PR. are supposed to be beyond reproach. They're admirable. They stick them out there in ties and jackets. Mm-hmm. You know, they're role models for uh, young players who are sometimes uh, finding their way. And you know, this is a guy getting in fights with another NBA with player an ex, with another player with his ex-wife. Uh, I mean, that was know. just all bad. All of that was yes. Uh, that that definitely, I think, certainly put a bit of a black eye on his tenure during the with the Knicks because it was just it was another thing that didn't go his way in a first season and a second season, which were not going as smooth to begin with. Um, also, to, real quickly, to, to, to go back to the coaching selections again, another possible uh, Phil Jackson guy uh, to consider is Brian Shaw. He had, a, he had a stint as the coach of the Denver Nuggets. That also went pretty terribly. So it's, I think it's a little tough to consider him as an option. But, I mean, just real quick to throw him out there, he is another Phil Jackson guy, like-minded guy, has a little bit of a coaching record. I mean, is he even going to be considered, do you think, for the next job, Brian Shaw? I like Brian Shaw. Mm-hmm. I think he's a uh, he has a decent track record as an NBA coach. Mm-hmm. His players seem to like him. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't. He did not do well with the the Nuggets organization. I think. But once again, stepping up to that stage, what is wrong with uh, throwing the prestige and the money necessary at one of our 
our proven uh, coaches. Yeah. Uh, do you have someone in mind? I'm, I have someone in mind. Well, I, I like Thibodeau. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, there's always a Van Gundy around. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, one of them, no, Stan is one running the Detroit working, Pistons One of them now. isn't, but you know, you'd be surprised what New York can uh, attract. Yeah, they have no problem maybe going back to the fires. Hey, hey Jeff, you want to come on back? So, Although uh, I don't know if I could ever see a Van Gundy working with Phil Chip. You see, that's the thing with Thibodeau. I don't know if I can see Thibodeau and his, his personality and I think his control, because that was the big issue with Thibodeau in Chicago, was he clashed with ownership and management. And uh, I think that he would probably clash with Phil Jackson. And, and going back to what you said, you know, Phil, I think, wants to have a degree of control over the coach, and I don't know if he would have that with Thibodeau. And also, I don't think Thibodeau is going to be doing the triangle. And Phil is really, really hooked into using the tri- He truly believes it. I don't think, and this is something that scares me about his allegiance to the triangle, not because it's bad, but because we're seeing an evolution in the NBA, and the game is changing slightly, and there's nothing wrong with using elements of the triangle. The Golden State Warriors use elements of the triangle, but to solely stick to it almost I use the word religiously you know might be to a fault at times I mean this Nick team is not a fast-moving team they're a half-court team they're a slog it out team and you know I think at times that can be their undoing what what do you think about that do you think that well, that's a very that's very good observation because the game is changing I think Phil Jackson knows what works for him he knows it very well and that's why he's comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. That's why a coach with a slightly different perspective to meld and, um, and uh, integrate a slightly different philosophy uh, might be something that Jackson is receptive to. There's an old saying, you know, in business, um, when uh, you have disharmony uh, in a business setting, mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of the main reasons is because, uh, their money is tight. Okay. Okay. And, and when everybody's making a lot of money, everyone's happy and no one argues. Mm-hmm. When Win, winning, winning, winning heals, cures winning, all ills. Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. And when you're losing, that's when there's a problem. Yeah. So if Phil Jackson suddenly saw a team that was winning uh, seven out of ten uh, ball games. Mm-hmm. And there was a variation on the triangle, or uh, there was a uh, a run and gun uh, team that was uh, doing well. He would say, "Okay, uh, you know, our personnel seem to fit into that. Uh, we can work with that." Mm-hmm. So um, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap because he's so uh, overbearing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's important for a boss to. Uh, put uh, the imprint on the team, and he, he he's doing that. Yeah, and he's he, trying to find the right, I think, combination of of people involved. And I, and I think what we're seeing is that you know it's still early. We're still in year two, and he's not afraid to pull the plug on a head coach this early in the game. You know, he's saying. You know, this almost feels like a Chip Kelly situation with the Eagles where it was like, you know what, 
we just know right here, right now, at this moment in time, this is not working. And the best course of action is to sever ties and go in another direction. And it felt like that's what Phil saw. And I think he just said, you know what? This is, we're doing this. This is, let's do it now. Let's move on. This is just going to be, wor- it's, if we're just, if we move forward, we're just going to be dragging it on. And I think he wanted to be done with it. That's, he, well, he saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. He saw that this team in the second half of the season was only going to get worse. Yeah. And he really thinks that with their talent, that they should not. And, and especially in that Eastern Conference, when you're seeing teams like the Bulls and the Pacers and the Pistons, I mean, they're not terrible teams, but these are teams that I think the New York Knicks could be right there in the thick of it with. And at this point, they're not. Well, I think we've discussed it. What you have to know, what you have to see now is who is going to be the choice. This is like this is like the the Republican, uh, you know, candidates. Oh God! Who's going to surface and be the choice? It's, it's when there were when there were fifteen people on the stage. It was pretty hard to figure out who was going to come out on top. There was a lot of people to pick from. It almost looked like I wanted to close my eyes and just you know pull it out of a hat. Well, I think that the the choice uh, that Phil Jackson is going to make is probably just as unpredictable as the one that we're going to see on the uh, on the political stage. I think you're probably right. I mean, listen, one of the things that makes Phil Jackson Phil Jackson is the uh, the unexpectedness of his decisions. We we you know kind of never quite understand the Zen master, and uh, probably never more so than right now. Um, and, and to tell you the truth, not a lot of people care. They just want to see if this team's going to win or not. They want to see wins. And, you know, right now, he's, his tenure has not equated to tons of wins. Oh, is that Millie? Is that yes, Millie? you yeah. know, I'm a veterinarian. I'm surrounded by dogs. So of they course. always have to throw their two cents in. Well, yeah, she, I, I think she wanted to, you know, she has a few feelings about Phil Jackson as well. Yeah. Um, here, let's, uh, let's, let's shift gears. Let's get away from the Knicks for a second. Um, let's talk a little bit about Blake Griffin. Uh, once again, a little unbasketball related, a little bit drama related. Um, so it came, so Blake, Blake Griffin, the last time I think, um, you and I spoke, I think it, I don't know if it was on the podcast, but we had mentioned how you were saying, why is this taking so long? You know, wh- why is it being so long for a suspension to come down? And we just heard the other day he was suspended for four games without pay by the Clippers. And so my first question is, right off the bat, why do you think a suspension took as long as it did to come out? I feel like it took a week or two. Um, and number two, I don't know if this is just me looking at tiny details, but why was he suspended by the team versus being suspended by the league? Um, your thoughts? Well, it's all speculation. I would have I would think that they were actually looking into whether there was going to be legal or law enforcement mm. action here. Oh wow, yeah. And I think that their team trainer or whoever the uh, yeah, this, team person the, the was the equipment staffer or whomever. Yeah, he got injured pretty badly. Uh I think there was a question of whether uh there would be an assault uh, charge, in other words, uh, a felony charge, mm-hmm. which would be a disaster mm-hmm. uh, from a PR viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NBA would have to take significant steps, mm-hmm. not to speak of the fact it could uh, involve a uh, a trial or mm-hmm. a conviction. Mm-hmm. And 
it probably took this long to iron things out. I mm -hmm. don't doubt that the equipment manager both has retained his job and mm -hmm. gotten some type of settlement someplace from either Blake Griffin or the team mm -hmm. in some way. Mm -hmm. And as many uh, people may know, whenever you're dealing with a negotiation or legal issues like that, it always takes longer than you would think. Yeah. yeah. And I think they put it to bed and now they've said, okay, uh, this is the, um, this is the decision. Mm -hmm. If you'll notice, if you read about the decision, the Clippers said they did this in conjunction with consultation with the NBA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's so good. Uh, obviously the NBA is on board with the sanction. Uh, I think it took this long to avoid a, um, a misstep, a, a felony accusation. Oh, wow. Uh, and an arrest, to tell you the truth. And it really just was such a, I mean, to complicate the matter further, uh, I mean, it took, I believe it was in Toronto. So it's a small thing, but this is another country. It's taking place in Canada. You're not dealing with the United States government. You're dealing with the Canadian government. Uh, so if there's legal action that can be taken, you're dealing with another country. Um, and I, uh, I listened to uh, Zach Lowe. Uh, writer for ESPN, uh, his podcast the other day, he mentioned something along the lines of uh, the equipment guy came in. Apparently, he was dizzy. He concussion-like symptoms. Uh, Blake, Blake Griffin's hand looks pretty bad. Like this was, you know, I think we're moving on from it. But make no mistake, I do. It was this was an uncomfortable situation, and I think this guy was hurt pretty bad. And it it looks bad. And now this is sort of, you know, serving up discussions about. Should Blake Griffin be traded this offseason? Well, you that? know, first of all, <clears throat> we all know Blake Griffin is one big person. Yeah. I mean, he's a monster among NBA players. Yeah, he is. So Athletic specimen. When he, when he decides to physically accost somebody, it's almost like when prize fighters do it. You know, they're not like other people. They're actually considered weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives me a little insight into the fact that he has not matured at the rate that I expect. This is not a rookie in the league. No, 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 no. This is someone that the league is starting to, was starting to make a poster boy. Yeah. He does TV commercials. Kia commercials. He, He's got those he, goofy he, car commercials. He doesn't commercials. just show his face. They're making him a little bit of an actor. Mm -hmm. And I'm disappointed in this. I don't know if you're going to... Uh, trade him away because what is it that you're going to get in exchange? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you have you have some bad boys in this league, and they bounce around because they are uh, bad boys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but it never seems to serve anybody <laughs> to move them around. Yeah, they're just a bad boy in another team. Right. You have to decide: is this a person that you can think you can keep under control? And be productive on your uh, ball club. Mm -hmm. And I think he possibly is one of these people, although I wouldn't be surprised if you see a babysitter uh, come on board. Mm -hmm. um, like maybe the Clippers assign him a, a bodyguard. Or, or you even see they pick up a 12th Elton Brand type guy who essentially uh, says, I've been there. I've done that. I know what you're going through. 
and I'm going to hang around with you to keep you out of trouble. Yeah, just and just, they'll give me and they'll give me three minutes uh, every four games to be on the court. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I think that's a good approach to this. This is this is bad. This is bad for Blake. It's bad for the Clippers. It's bad for the NBA. It's just you you hope these things don't happen. And you know, it sounds like listen. It sounds like they were drinking. It sounds like they were at dinner. It sounds like I don't know what the hell they were talking about. But clearly, tempers got hot and. You know, now he's backpedaling and he's got to, you know, make amends and mea culpa and, and try to move on. It's interesting. You haven't heard from the equipment manager, have you? Yeah. You think they've been trying to get to him? I think about 10,000 media types would be trying to get to him. So and nothing. Uh, this is being uh, orchestrated very carefully. Yeah. That's and, and, you know, in some ways, good job by the Clippers there. They're on top of this. This is a nightmare, and they're doing their best to make it as um, as as with, to get by with as little damage as possible. What did we speak about before? Oh, Blake Griffin. Money, money, money. Oh, money, 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 money. It's a big contract. This is the highest guy. paid. This is the highest paid equipment manager this year in the history of the NBA. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> He's oh no that oh that year Blake Gritton punched me out oh I I made a killing that year. <laughs> um, well here uh, uh, one more topic I want to hit you with just because I saw this today and I, I kind of wanted to it's a little bit more back to basketball a little less drama. Marcus Gasol uh, broke his foot, broke a bone in his foot recently. I think it was last night's game or two nights ago. He's now out indefinitely. Um, and this, uh, I want your take just in the sense of what you think the is the the rest of the season slash postseason outlook for the Grizzlies. Because the Grizzlies, you know, more power to them over the course of the season. You know, they've the Western Conference, I think we all know, is extremely dangerous and difficult to get anywhere in. Um, but they had been, you know, deep in the muck of it. Zach Randolph, Marcus All, we know that what they've done over the last handful of years, last co- uh, month or so, They'd really been on a tear. Uh, they'd been winning a lot of games. I think they started to set themselves apart from the the rest of the middle of the pack of the Western Conference. And now that I think they're getting this momentum going and they're starting to get a push for the second half of the season post the All-Star break, one of their best players goes down for you know what is sounding like the rest of the season and very possibly all of the playoffs. Um, What's your first uh, knee-jerk reaction to hearing that and what you think is going to happen with the Grizzlies for the rest of the season? Well, first of all, this is yet another big seven-footer with a foot problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we can just start going. You I know, mean, I think Gao you were the first person to, to tell me Wong. that you felt that players of that caliber, seven-footers, the Yao Mings, these big guys, I think you used to tell me that you felt they should be wearing knee pads and, and leg um, – sort of supplement, you know, equipment on the first day of their rookie season because of the pounding that happens on their legs and knees and feet. Yeah, you would think that you would take a preventative stance rather than waiting for things to happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and as far as feet are concerned, you know, Embiid, the big fella Sixers have had, you know, on the sidelines because of a broken foot mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw Yao Ming, we saw Bill Walton, mm-hmm. um, and it's really go on and on. But uh, Marcus Saul is a not only is he a talented player, he's a really smart player. He is yeah. the reason that the Grizzlies are doing what they're doing. He is the hub. Mm-hmm. And 
I would have to say I think that it is going to impact them uh, very good. strongly yeah. because, unfortunately, they don't have a backup center that can even uh, hold his own, and that's going to be a big problem for I mean, that's team. A, that's a huge hole to fill in Memphis now with Gasol out, and as much as Zach Randolph and the rest of that team really brings to the table – so without uh, Randolph, I'm I'm curious. You know, I mean, can either any of these, the rest of the team, really fill that gap that Gasol has left? No, they can't fill that gap for three or four days. They're going to three or four games rather. They're going to compensate. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this is an all-star level center, and he's a multifaceted center. He mm-hmm. isn't somebody who just rebounds. He Actually, can pass. Doesn't. Actually, he doesn't rebound, yeah. but he passes, he's smart, he makes sure that the offense is consistent, he steps back and you can make sh- he's he hits that little jumper when it's available, mm-hmm. and he's a really big body. These mm-hmm. Gasol brothers are Yeah, they're big. both they're big, but seven. Mark is a thick guy, thick. Yes, he is, and actually he's lost weight this year, and he's become even more agile. And, and I think we can agree he is. I, I, he and Zach Randolph bring a lot to that team, but I think we can kind of say he's a little bit more of the centerpiece than Randolph is. And I think he's younger than Randolph as well. Well, the other thing is when they're both on the court, they each take a little of the heat off of one another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, without Gasol in there, Randolph is the person they're going to key on. Mm-hmm. And you know his game is a very physical game. Yeah. So yeah. now they're going to uh, key on that, puts the, the big body that they they couldn't spare before because mm-hmm. Gasol was there. And you might see some time with these bigs being devoted to Randolph. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, they were getting better because their chemistry was getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And – when you lost Gasol, you lost a piece of that chemistry. So I have to be pessimistic. Yeah, uh, they're, it's they they're in the Western Conference. Be, they're not going to be able to accomplish what they were on their way to accomplishing. Yeah, and it's and it's a shame because I think that uh, the Grizzlies. I don't think we talk about them as as much, and I probably not enough. I think they're a fantastic team. When we talk about the Spurs being consistent, the Grizzlies have been pretty darn consistent with Randolph and Gasol and Mike Conley and Tony Allen, and they brought in Jeff Green. Like They really found a, a nucleus that's been there for a good handful of years and created a heck of a ball, t- uh, ball team that has uh, been dangerous in the playoffs. And this is just... Another painful year where, you know, they probably can't accomplish half of what they would normally accomplish because they're going to be missing one of their key superstars as from what it looks like, they're probably going to be limping into the playoffs. And I mean, I don't know if they'll make it past round one. Uh, I I agree with you. And this comes down to a deeper discussion for another time. You know, injuries are a big problem. They Mm -hmm. change the face and the direction and the potential a lot of teams and playing a lot of games uh, and doing a lot of traveling and making it a global game, I think increases the potential for ball players to get injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 
And that potential is going to go nowhere but up the more international the game becomes. That's true. And now they're trying, you know, they actually have uh, preemptive routines uh, to try to prevent players from being injured. You know, they they try to get them on uh, better sleep patterns. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. have them on not necessarily weight training programs, but rather programs that increase their flexibility so they don't injure quite as easily. So it's be interesting to see if that science of preventative uh, care mm-hmm. keeps up with the stress of the and speed of the game. Mm. Well, it's the, there's certainly I think been some some revelations with sports science over the last 10, 15 years, and that is contributing to. I mean, I would hope. It sounds like the next frontier is more of this preventative medicine like you're mentioning because it doesn't take a student of the game who's been watching it very long to know that, you know, Kevin Durant's foot injury, you know, that was the same foot injury that pretty much hampered slash ended Doug Collins' career 20, 30 years ago, whereas Kevin Durant, he's able to have some surgeries and we have the medicine and the technology. It's like the $6 million man. We can rebuild him. You know, he can get back on the court and perform at the level that he was performing and we know him to perform. Whereas 30 years ago, that might've been the end of his career. Not to speak of the fact they are actually creating shoes for these players Mm -hmm. to wear that have very sophisticated orthotics and design to help them uh, with these uh, foot injuries and to prevent them. Mm. God, this is such, it's amazing stuff. I, I guess these are the things that I, uh, I, I just didn't know would be, would be happening when I, when I watch the game change. You know, I, I think of sometimes the game changing is simply in a sense of just uh, the players are now wearing jerseys that have shirt sleeves on them. Well, it's also more along the lines of conditioning and eating and, and everything. I mean, there's, you know, and, and then, you know, you, you want to go deeper. You talk about the sports metrics that are coming out with, you know, the Houston Rockets and yeah. Morey and, you know, using these advanced analytics to try to, to try to, you know, find more of the game as opposed to going with the typical, you know, gut check that, 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 that gut reaction, the eye test, I think is a, is a term that's used very often in the NBA as well in many sports. You know, there's a, um, there's, I forget the name of the center that's shooting about 36% from the foul line. Yeah. Ex, um, see on Detroit. Oh, um, oh, uh, are you talking about Ilya Sova? Or are you talking no, about Andre the, Drummond? Andre Drummond, Drummond? Drummond. Drummond is shooting an absurdly low uh, foul shot yes, percentage. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he and is. they've just brought in an invention that he... In practice, that he wears on his arm, it's it's a robotic computer that corrects his movement as he's shooting. It interprets and sees if his elbow is uh, several degrees further out from his body than it should be, and it automatically corrects it and brings it back. And this is what they're using with him to work on his foul shot. What? Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's really amazing. I had no I mean, idea. What, what's amazing to me is that I'm we've created something like this. <laughs> you know, I'm 71 years old, and I still will make eight out of ten foul shots. <laughs> and then put me under pressure, put me in a game, I'll make seven out of ten. Yeah. So I don't understand why Andre Drummond is making 
three and a half out of ten. But that being said, this is what they're doing to try to correct it. I mean, it's in every sense of the word, it's technology. It's taking over. I always thought practice made perfect. Well, here, listen, Dr. Mark, this has been plenty good. I think we got a lot on the record. We ripped apart just about everything. Wonder who's going to be the new head coach of the New York Knicks, not just the interim, but the actual decision maker. Uh, definitely some drama with Blake Griffin, but uh, this was some good stuff. I, um, I'm glad we got a chance to check in and uh, go over some of these things. Do you mind? Uh, can I plug uh, your website? Can I plug uh, your, uh, your, your clinic? Yeah, that's, we were talking about money. That's how I make a living, Sam. That's right. VorheesVet.com, 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 Voorhees Veterinary Clinic, Voorhees, New Jersey. You can find Dr. Mark Rosenberg there. Go to the website, listen to his podcasts. I think he's got a few good things to say about your animals at home if you've got some lovely furry friends. Would you agree? I would. And remember, uh, it's the least you can do for your best friend. <laughs> uh, you know, just in my head earlier today, I was thinking of that. I was like, God, oh, it's the least you could do for your best friend. Uh, to plug my own stuff, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, subscribe to me on iTunes. Subscribe to me on Stitcher. Subscribe to me on SoundCloud. Email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com with any feedback or comments or suggestions. I would love to hear it. Um, and as always, follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. Um, we'll be back soon. Dad, thanks for coming on. Loved it, Sam. All right. We'll talk soon. Guys, take it easy. Bye-bye.